I'll just welcome those of you guys watching online right now from coast to coast and across the fruited plains. My name's Joe. I'm the pastor here at Lynchburg City Church. And if God puts it on your heart to give to the church, you can do so by going to lynchburgcitychurch.com. With that, why don't we take a second and just pray? We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And uh, thank you that we can be here today. Um, thank you, Lord, that young Percival is with us here. And um, what a blessing that is to, to have him. And Lord, specifically for Percival, I, I pray, Lord, for his salvation, for his election, for his calling. I pray, Lord, that um, he would walk with you and follow you and serve you all the days of his life. Lord, I pray that you would help him to do just that, Lord. I pray that he would meet a young lady who loves you and follows you, and Lord, and that he would have children that love and serve and follow you, and that those children would have children that love and serve and follow you, and then that those children have more children who love and serve and follow you, and that those children have more children that love and serve and follow you. That is our prayer today. Lord, for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guardsmen, the Space Force, uh, those serving both at home and abroad, we pray for their, uh, their, their safety. We pray for their, uh, their salvation because most of those guys and gals, they don't love you. They don't, they don't serve you. They don't follow you. They don't walk with you. And I pray that they would. I pray for President Biden. I pray for great wisdom for him. I, I pray for just extra mercy and grace on his life, Lord. For his health, God which just seems just to be deteriorating before like our very eyes. I pray that you would sustain his health, his mental faculties, Lord. Help him to make good decisions, Lord. Help him to make decisions that honor you, God. Lord, I, I pray um, for the persecuted church, Leah Sherabu, being held by Boko Haram in Nigeria because she's a Christian, or Pastor Wang and Pastor John imprisoned in China for the Christians, Lord, in North Korea, for the Christians in Afghanistan, for the Christians in Eritrea and Somalia and the South Sudan and some of the, the most hardest reached places, Lord, in the world, as the author of Hebrews would remind us to remember those who are in chains as if in chains with them. Please, today, give them an added encouragement and strength. Uh, for Jason Cheesegel, Lord, just two months ago he was here uh, sharing his testimony and, and what he and his family are doing uh, in, in the western jungles of Papua New Guinea. And I, I pray, Lord, uh, just for their, their safety. I pray for encouragement. I pray that you'd protect them from discouragement and anxiety, um, Lord, as they, they get ready to, uh, to move back into the jungles and, and, and to be with their tribe after so many long months. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help me today, that you would keep me from error, that you would keep me from, from saying something that I shouldn't say. I pray that you would guide my words and that I would only say what you want me to say. If you don't want me to say something, don't let me say it. If I need to say something I haven't planned on saying, I pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Guide my speech and help me. Help us. Help us to hear from you. We pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. So today we are in John's Gospel which should come as no surprise to most of you. If you are new, you should know we really like expository preaching here at Lynchburg City Church. Expository preaching is where you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, just through a book. And so that's what we've been doing for several months, uh, going through John's Gospel. This is part 
28 today. This is the 28th sermon I've preached in John's gospel. And we're going to be in John chapter 10 today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll have all the verses on the screen. But before we kind of jump into John 10, by way of introduction, I wanted to just recall for a moment back in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, thinking about uh, King Herod when he had asked the specific questions about where a Messiah would be born, the chief priests and the scribes quoted Micah 5, 2, which is right there in Matthew 2, 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Centuries before, Messiah would come in Ezekiel 34, 23. The Old Testament had predicted Jesus would come and he'd shepherd his people. Shepherding has always been a very familiar part of everyday life in Israel. And so for that reason, it should come as no surprise that shepherding is the, one of the central themes in John chapter 10. And, and so we begin, John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So here's what's going on right now. The sheep pens would be these like large enclosures where the sheep would be kept. And sometimes you would actually have like multiple families uh, keeping all their sheep just together in one place. It's just easier logistically like that. In these big enclosures. And then you would have guys sometimes who were often hired to watch the sheep, to guard the gate. And, and only people who are supposed to come through the gate are supposed to come through the gate. Only people that actually have authorization are, are the ones that are supposed to do that. But see, the problem is, as we see in verse 1 here... There are some people who are not actually authorized, who are going around the door to sneak inside the enclosure. And these people he describes as thieves and robbers. They're, they're very bad people. And for that reason, the sheep, they require a shepherd. They require constant oversight and protection from these bad guys, the thieves and the robbers, who are trying to sneak into the enclosure. And he says in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So, so the way that you can differentiate the shepherd, who, who's the real and actual shepherd, from those who are the thieves and the robbers, i.e. the imposters, is, well, the shepherd, he's authorized, and he comes right through the gate versus going through some hole in the fence on the side. So to him, he says in verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus calls the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and he leads them, and they follow him. And for many people today, just as it was in John chapter 10, they don't like this. They don't like that. Because for a lot of people, even those who claim to be Christians, they don't want Jesus calling or leading them. They, they want it the other way around. They want God to follow them. They don't want to follow God. See, some people think God should obey us. God should bend his rules to support our lifestyle and that we should be the leader. But that's not how it works. Not to mention, if you've ever tried this, it usually ends very badly. It usually ends in tears and heartache. When you try to lead yourself, it usually ends in disaster. So the shepherd is authorized to come in, and he does. But there's still that problem of the thieves and the robbers. As John MacArthur points out, that the thieves and the robbers, they represent the Jewish religious leaders. 
who doing the work of the devil have climbed the walls of the sheepfold to spiritually fleece and slaughter the people. This, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us as the prophet Jeremiah says uh, in multiple instances, like hundreds of years before John 10. For example, in John uh, Jeremiah 10, 21, it says this, for the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. Jeremiah 12, 10, many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. And then again in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6, my people have been a lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. This has been Israel's situation for a very long time. Israel's spiritual leaders, they haven't led the people. They haven't cared for the people. They haven't shepherded the people. And unfortunately, this is just as true today in so many so-called Christian churches. Like in a day and age in which we have the, the celebrity pastor, many who can really care more about telling you what you want to hear than what you need to hear, even what the Bible says so. And you could easily make the argument that there are a lot of modern-day thieves and robbers. But that's not the only problem that we have. And that's because I often notice that for many people, it's not that they have poor shepherds leading them astray, but they have no shepherds. That is, they don't want to be part of a flock. Especially in the West, especially in America, there is this very real individualistic cultural struggle that we battle against in which all people want to do is watch church online or just church hop every week like in perpetuity, and never actually have shepherds to care for their souls and pastor them. Some of you guys in here are guilty of that. Or they like the shepherds until the shepherd steps on their toes and the shepherd says something while he's preaching a sermon that they don't like, and then they just bounce to a new church or a new flock. Like as soon as it's no longer convenient for them, like if I had a hashtag, it'd be hashtag consumer Christianity. Hashtag bad shepherds. That would pretty much summarize these, these verses we've read so far. So he continues. He says this in verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. And they know his voice. I thought this was interesting. Like in the West, we use sheep dogs to, to get the sheep to go from point A to point B. But in the East, both now and in Jesus' day, they would actually lead their flocks, not with sheep dogs, but primarily with their voice calling them. So, so the sheep would actually really get accustomed to hearing the shepherd's voice. That's what's occurring right here. And it says in verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. When it comes to the sheep, I personally think there are, there are like few things that are more sad than when I see sheep leave the flock of God. And then later on, I'll see on social media how they're just making shipwreck of their faith, like Hymenaeus or Alexander from 1 Timothy. And they've totally turned away from Jesus, the good shepherd, to follow someone or something else, revealing in many instances that they were never actually part of his fold. This would be a very 1 John 2.19 way of saying it. Like, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But here's the good news. As we just heard, the good news is that the true sheep 
listen to Jesus because they're his sheep and they know his voice and they belong to him and they obey him and they love him and they serve him. And so he continues in verse 6. He says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Did you catch that? Verse 6 acknowledges that he's using a figure of speech. In the preceding verses to make this point. But why say it? Like, like normally, if you're using a figure of speech, you don't tell people. Like if I said, this would be like if the 49ers and the Chiefs were playing in this really important game and then one team beat the other, you wouldn't need me to say, oh, by the way, I'm using a figure of speech. You know I was using a figure of speech. You're like, yeah, he's using a sports metaphor right now. Like normally when you're using a figure of speech, you don't have to say, I'm using a figure of speech. Like, duh. Like, clearly. So why does he tell him? that he's using a figure of speech in verse 6. And I, I think the answer is because he's testing them. He's giving them, yet again, another chance. You say, another chance? Yes, this is very much connected with the previous chapter. Remember how chapter 9 ended last week in Jerusalem when the Pharisees were saying, we're not blind. Remember Jesus healed the blind guy? He said, I'm the light of the world. Pharisees are like, well, yeah, uh, we're, not, we're not blind. We can see perfectly fine. He's like, really? You can see perfectly fine? Yeah, yeah, we can see totally fine. It's like, yeah, yeah, your eyes work. You can see physically, but not spiritually. So he's giving them another chance. He's spelling it out for them. He's like, okay, let's play Pictionary. I'll draw, you tell me what you see. And so he draws in a picture with his words, with shepherds, with thieves, with robbers, with sheep, with the door, with the gatekeeper. And unfortunately, the, the problem still exists for the religious leaders. The, the problem doesn't go away, and that is because they still don't see. They still don't get it. That's, that's why he mentions that he's using a figure of speech because they, they don't get it and they should, but they don't. And so he says in the next verse, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's like, let's give it another go. I'm the door of the sheep. <clears throat> and all, verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Okay, quick recap. Verses 1 to 5. The shepherd enters the sheep enclosure through the gate. And now, in these verses, he is the gate. That is, he is the door. But once again, he notes the thieves and the robbers because they're still a problem. They haven't just gone away. They are the, the bad shepherds in Israel who are not looking out for the sheep. And that's a real danger, which is why I think it's so vitally important, practically speaking, to be plugged into a local church, like a, a solid biblical local church, to have shepherds and leaders who are caring for your soul. And some people will make the argument, well, all I need is Jesus. I don't need the local church. Just, just see Jesus. After all, I go to combo or Bible classes or I watch church online. And I just want to take a second, if I can, and correct that very unbiblical line of thinking right now. Because that's exactly what it is. That type of unbiblical thinking that advocates for this lone ranger Christian life. And it's totally antithetical to what the Bible teaches. In which we operate independently on our own, away from other sheep, away from other shepherds. And it's stupid. It's stupid and it's also really, really dangerous. Like, 
Not to mention, I've never heard a single Christian say, I'm not plugged into a local church. I'm not using my spiritual gifts in a local church. I have no accountability in a local church. I have no discipleship through a local church. I'm not actually discipling anyone in my local church. And all the Bible verses that talk about the local church and not neglecting to meet together, like in Hebrews chapter 10, I just sort of ignore them. But don't worry, I'm really good with God. I'm doing really well spiritually. Like, I knew a guy like that 20 years ago, and his name was Joe, and he was a real idiot. And let me just give you some advice. Don't be like Joe. Don't be an idiot. Don't be the younger version of myself who would just church hop all around and never get plugged in and never would get involved with shepherds who loved and pastored and cared for my soul. And some of you guys, honestly, you need to grow up. You need to show up. You need to quit making excuses about how it doesn't work for your schedule or how about you're just too tired. You think it's going to get any easier when you get married or you have a kid? I promise you it won't. Until he says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The point of saying this is that the sheepfold itself represents safety and protection, but the sheep aren't meant to stay there the whole time. Like If they stayed in the sheep enclosure the whole time, they'd eventually die. They, they want, they need, they need green pasture and they need still waters. And Jesus says, I'm going to give them that. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to verse 10 and he says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life that Jesus promises is not about having all the stuff you could ever want. It's about having peace and joy and God in both the good and the bad times. That's what the abundant life is about. Interestingly enough, according to Hegesippus, a second century writer who I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, James, the half-brother of Jesus, was executed by the Jewish opponents in part because of this very question from this very passage. And they asked him, what is this door? which they probably meant that the door that Jesus was referring to. And when J James gave them the answer, they didn't want to hear that Jesus is the door, that Jesus is God, he was thrown off the temple. Somehow, he still managed to survive the fall, and then they stoned him to death. See, the idea here is that Jesus is the door, that Jesus is the sole means by which the sheep may enter into the safety of the fold and find green pasture and have life. Not just any life, I have abundant life. That is salvation. That is escape from the wrath of God. That's what he's saying here. And I want to be super clear. There are not other doors to get to God. There are not other gates. There are not other entrances. There isn't an exception to policy because of who your parents are. There is not another option available because of how good you are. You either come through the door or not at all. You either come through Jesus or you die in your sins and you spend eternity in hell forever. This is a very proverbial way of receiving eternal life. And the problem with the world, which often spills over into the church, is that it constantly seeks to be saved by other means than the door. Like every century that looks to new political saviors who always disappoint. I mean, whether it's the Hitlers or the Stalins or the Maos or the Pol Pots. And only too late does it learn later on that they blatantly confiscate personal property. They come only to steal. 
with total disregard for human life. They come only to kill, and they ruin everything in their path that holds any value. They come only to destroy, in contrast to the type of Savior that Jesus is. And oh, by the way, he achieves this. He achieves this abundant life through means that run just counterintuitive to what people think. See, for many people, the freedom and the abundant life that they want, that they think they need, will be accomplished by... 2024 presidential election and then the 2028 presidential election and then the 2032 and the 2036 and so on and so forth and and while elections matter and are by no means insignificant the truth is what Jesus says is only accomplished by the cross that's it the problem is people a lot of Christian people who love the Lord really have a hard time differentiating this and, 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 and have to like just pull us back, guys. Like we are kingdom citizens. I'm not saying elections aren't important. I'm not saying like don't vote. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying like Jesus is the one that brings real change. That's what I'm saying. And so Jesus comes to save us that we might have life, that we might have the abundant life. In fact, that, that word the abundant life in Greek, it means that which goes way beyond necessity. In other words, John wants all his readers to know that the abundant life, the the new life that we find in Jesus is beyond our wildest dreams. The Apostle Paul would say it like this in 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. End quote. That's what the abundant life is means that Christ offers us a a life that is so great that we can't even begin to imagine it. It's that good. It's that good. So, verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The assumption in verse 11 that is being made here, and it's pretty clear, and that is that the sheep are in mortal danger, guys. The sheep are in mortal danger, and the only strategy that they have is the shepherd. And the shepherd's strategy is to lose his life to save theirs. And it's for that exact reason why he is the good shepherd. That's what makes him, like, how, how does he get to be the good shepherd? Because he lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, high criteria. Yep, that's what it is. And so he continues, verse 12 and 13. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, And he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I know a pastor who prior to him being a pastor um, was working a minimum wage job, (coughs) 7-Eleven, when a guy came in one night with a gun. He's like, I want all the beer and lotto tickets and money in the register right now. And this was all very scary. Um, someone coming in with a gun. And this pastor, without even thinking, he was just like, I just started opening my mouth and words just started coming out. I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah, no worries. I'll do it. Like, do you want paper or plastic? I can bag those for you. I can carry them to your car. Like, whatever you need. I realize I'm talking a lot, but I'm just really nervous. Like, can we just put down the gun? And he's like, I just want to be really, really clear right now. Um, sir, uh, I will get this done, but I want you to know uh, one more thing. I have absolutely no plans to make any type of courageous stand for the 7-Eleven. Right? 
Like, I have no, like, this is not going to be like, like Custer's Last Stand, like next to the slurping machine. I'm not going out this way. So you tell me whatever I need, like, whatever. Like, I'm yours, dude. It's not worth it. I'm not going to suffer so much as a paper cut for the 7-Eleven. And so the reason Jesus mentions these hired hands is to show that he's not like that. He's not a hired hand. He's the good shepherd. He's the owner of the sheep. And here's the good news is that while this is what the employee does when danger comes to the flock, this isn't what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't do this. Look at look what verse 14 says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep, he says. Jesus carries a cross, not plastic explosives. Jesus carries the cross, not an Uzi or a submachine gun. Jesus, he carries a cross and he lays his life down for the sheep. Four times, in in these two verses, in verse 14 and 15, you you may have noticed it, four times the word no is used. Did you you catch that? We'll just look at it again. Look at what it says here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. That's one. And my own know me. That's two. Just as the Father knows me. That's three. And I know the Father. That's four. That, that, That term to know, it's a very important biblical term to describe the intimate relationship between husbands and wives. And and the reason that's significant is because this. Christianity is not merely about being saved from sin and death and judgment. It also means you have a shepherd to take care of you, to look out for you, to protect you, to know you. He knows you. He knows you so well. He knows what you're go- what, what's going on in your life right now that you haven't told anyone else about. Like if he didn't know you, he couldn't love you well. You can't, you can't love someone well. You can't begin to love someone well if you really don't know what's going on with him. He knows you so well. I'm very thankful for that. He says in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. To suggest that there are other sheep, the Jews and Gentiles would be united in one flock? I mean, that's a revolutionary concept. The Jews despise the Gentiles, <coughs> and uh, they return the animosity. Even the, the early Jewish Christians, they were, they were just so programmed in this way of thinking, this type of prejudice. They were so slow to accept the Gentile Christians as equal members in the church. I mean, you just go to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 15, you see these, these issues coming up. You fast forward to the 1800s, Peter Cameron Scott who founded the African Inland Mission. He was born in 1867 in Scotland, and he he went out as a missionary to Africa as a young man to usher in these other sheep. And and like so many in that generation, he 
He got malaria. He got really, really sick. He had to come back to, uh, to Britain. And so in his second attempt, <clears throat> it was really special for him because his brother uh, got to come with him, his brother John. And they went to Africa. And while they were there, his brother John got really, really sick, but he wasn't able to recover, and his brother died. And soon after, Peter Cameron Scott buried his brother by himself, uh, not wanting his death to be in vain. He, he rededicated himself to continue to preach the gospel in Africa. And then he got sick again, got really, really sick. He had to go back to Britain. And, and by this time, he's like so utterly discouraged. And while he was in London, uh, something kind of remarkable happened to Peter Cameron Scott. He visited Westminster Abbey, and he stood at the tomb of David Livingston. And there at the tomb, Peter Cameron Scott read these words. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. It was these words from John chapter 10, 16 that God used to give him the confidence to return to Africa yet again, and this time for the rest of his life. Like in that moment of his deepest discouragement, God gave him this invincible confidence that he would make it to heaven and that his life would count for things of eternal significance because of what Jesus said right here in John chapter 10, 16. And this is where I think it gets really, really interesting. And that is because in verse 16, we learn that Jesus has other sheep that belong to him. And he's going to bring them to himself. And this is going to happen when he calls them. And notice the phrase in verse 16. I must bring them also. The, the, the word must is utterly crucial because it makes it clear that these other sheep, they're going to come. Not maybe, not if they feel like it, not if they don't have anything else going on. They will come because they will listen to the voice of the shepherd. I mean, don't, don't take my word for it, guys. I mean, just look at the deep connection between verse 16 and verse 3. In verse 3, it says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. The sheep will come. In other words, it's not possible that the father would choose a flock for the son and give them to the son and then the son not bring them, right? The salvation of Christ's sheep must take place. And Jesus says with absolute authority, they will listen to my voice. And that means they, they will respond. They will come. This is at the heart of the doctrine known as irresistible grace. And someone will say, well, hold on, hold on. Did you say irresistible grace? You're, you're saying, <clears throat> I can't ignore the shepherd's voice even if I wanted to? Are you suggesting, Joe, that I can't tell God no, that I can't reject God? Well, of course you can. And before you're a Christian, that's all you ever do. To be clear, you can tell God no all day long. That is, until he calls you. That is, until he overcomes your resistance, at which point you come. Not maybe, not most likely, not if you feel like it. Like it's 100% sure. Why? Because of what we just saw here in verse 16. The shepherd must bring the sheep and they will listen. Not might, not maybe, they will listen. And if you're here today and you're one of his sheep that love him and listen to him, it is for no other reason than verse 16. For no other reason than the chief shepherd who called you who knows you, who loves you, 
For this reason, verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. If this story ended with the death of the shepherd, there would be a very great problem. And that's because if the flock of sheep loses their shepherd because he laid down his life to save them from, say, a pack of wolves, they don't have a shepherd anymore. They're shepherdless. And even if no more wolves were ever to come, sooner or later they're going to run out of green pasture. They're going to die. The, The shepherd giving his life to save them, it's a noble thing. But in the end, it just delays their death. It just kicks the can down the road. In the end, the death of the shepherd will just have been in vain. That's why verses 17 and 18 are so critical to the story. The father sent him to die for his sheep, and the father commanded that he not abandon his sheep, but rise from the dead, and he did. And there was a division among many of the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon And is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus has just presented multiple ideas that many think are too much. That they think are insane. And if the ideas are perceived to be insane, well then he must be insane. I mean, for starters, he says, the shepherd the shepherd. He said, he, he's the shepherd. And then he says, I'm the door. Like, you can't be a shepherd and the door at the same time. So there's a problem right there, right? And not only that, but what about this utter nonsense about him laying down his life for the sheep? Like, who does that? Oh, and then there's the entire part about some of the sheep are, they're different, but they're not of the fold. But that's, that's preposterous to, to even consider that there could possibly be non-Jewish sheep? To think that there are sheep that belong to Jesus that look different or speak a different language? (laughs) That's insane. To think that there could be sheep in, say, Antioch or, or Athens or Rome or Cairo or London or New York or Mexico City or Sao Paulo or Tokyo or Manila or Sydney or Singapore or Jakarta or Beijing or Calcutta or Kandahar or Tehran or Moscow or... Lynchburg? Like, no way, Jesus! That's too much! That's insane! And so there was this division between the religious leaders and the people. There was no consensus, just as today, there isn't a consensus. Some say Jesus is that, or he's that. I mean, if you watch the Super Bowl commercials, some will tell you that all he did was wash people's feet and not teach hate. So where does this leave us? It leaves us with the vitally crucial question for each one of us. Are we a sheep? Are you one of Christ's sheep today? And if you're not, you need to repent of your sins and trust and believe that only what Jesus did for you on the cross was enough to satisfy the wrath of a holy God. God has ordained that there are other sheep that need to hear the gospel and we are to take it to them. Like John Eliot from Boston in the early 1600s to go and reach the other sheep among the Algonquin or like David Brainerd living in New England a century later 
to go and reach the other sheep among the Housatonic and the Delaware, or like William Carey in England at the end of the 18th century to go and reach the other sheep in India, or like Jason Cheesechell in Virginia in 2017 to go and reach the other sheep in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. And so my hope is today that if you find yourself unfamiliar with the voice of the Good Shepherd, that you would listen to his voice, that you would follow him, that you would bow the knee, that you would turn to Christ and Christ alone for the only life worth having. And if by chance today you find yourself like Peter Cameron Scott standing at the grave of David Livingston, wondering if it even matters, feeling the weight of discouragement on your shoulders after just burying your brother? Well, then I would point you to the doctrine of irresistible grace, which is so deeply rooted in the words of Christ from John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. That we would go forth in Lynchburg, in Virginia, in the mid-Atlantic and to the sheep of the earth carrying the gospel wherever the Lord may take us knowing that there are other sheep and he's going to bring them. He's going to bring them. Oh, that that might be our confidence today in John 10, 16. And so as the team comes, I want to pray for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. That's the only way you can be the good shepherd. And that when you lay your life down, you also come and take it up again. I pray, Lord, that you would help us today, that you would give us the courage and the confidence. For some of us, Lord, maybe we're feeling discouraged. I don't know praying week after week, month after month for different family members who are not Christians, for different friends or or co-workers. Lord, I pray that our confidence in you would be kick-started today. Not because of anything I said, Lord, but because of what you said. That you have other sheep. That they're going to come. That they're going to listen. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a passion for the lost because people are, people are dying and going to hell. And some of us are so busy and we're so distracted by some things that really aren't even that important when measured against eternity. Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for saving us. We owe you everything, King Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.